You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to yet another edition of the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. And today is another great episode. I've been doing a lot of interviews lately and haven't done a free flow, freestyle rant in quite some time, but I hope you are pleased with the caliber of guests that I've been having on lately. And today, is going to be much the same. We're going to be joined by Roger Ver. He is the president or CEO of Bitcoin.com. He's a early Bitcoin and cryptocurrency adopter, one of the first angel investors. I think the first angel investor. In fact, he earned the title Bitcoin Jesus. We'll, act, we'll ask him what he thinks about that title. Um, but he has been around the space for quite some time, and I was super excited to meet him early on. It must have been 2012 or 2013. We'll, we'll share that story at Liberty Forum uh, this was before the whole Liberty community had gone bonkers for crypto. But uh, I really appreciate him because not only is he a big cryptocurrency evangelist, but he's also a big proponent of voluntarism. And he's able to share the philosophy uh, and some pretty radical stuff in a very calm and rational manner that I think is easily consumable by the masses. So he's not only a big proponent of cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin Cash, as we'll talk about, but he's also a big proponent of voluntarism and anarchism, which is super, super critical. Uh, before we get onto the show, I want to plug one of our sponsors. It's myself. I've been doing cryptocurrency consultations again since the price has been rising. Everyone is talking about crypto and there's a lot of new folks that want to get involved. Remember, it's not always the best thing to buy at the very top, but also at the same time, you don't want to miss the boat entirely because I suspect that the prices of cryptocurrencies are going to keep going up. So if you want to do a one-on-one -on -one consultation where you can pick my brain, I can hold your hand as you set up a wallet, make sure that you're doing it safely and securely, backing it up so it's not only hacker-proof, but it's also user error-proof, which is the most common way people screw crypto up. It's from user error. I can help you get all that done. You just go to sovbtc.com. That's S-O-V-B-T-C.com softbtc.com and book a consultation and I will get you all set up and answer any questions that you might have. All right, without further ado, let's go to our guest, the one, the only Roger Ver. How are you today? Great to reconnect, John. It's hard to believe so many years have gone by since we first met. So. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. I think it might have been at Liberty Forum um, early on. I remember it was you, Eric Voorhees, and I think Charlie Shrem, which was like the power three and uh, I remember you guys were really turning uh, Jeffrey Tucker onto cryptocurrency at that time. So I thought that was cool for, for you guys to be there. And this was way back in the early days. And it sounds like and, and we got Tom Woods at that same event. So we got two for one. We got Jeffrey Tucker and Tom Woods uh, at that yeah. same event. It was really a, a fun time. Yeah. And they both went on to really get the word out there about it as well and spread it. That was back. I don't know. What was cryptocurrency Bitcoin price back Single then? Single digits. Yeah. Eight wow. bucks, seven bucks, maybe some, somewhere in there. What a wild ride it's been. Um, before we go any further, if you would just introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background, maybe your pre-crypto background, and then we can kind of go through the evolution of Roger Ver into a, a bit to the Bitcoin Jesus, as they say. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot to cover there, I guess. Uh, 
But uh, I'm originally from Silicon Valley. Uh, I used to have my own company. I started there selling fiber optic transceivers and computer memory and networking equipment to businesses all over the world. And I've been running that for quite a while and uh, saw firsthand the pain. Uh, in fact, when I first started that business, there was no such thing as PayPal. The way people were ordering things online back then, if you could get a merchant account, great, and you could accept credit cards, great, but it was really hard to get one of those back then. And so what most people were doing when like eBay first started out, for example, is people would have to go to the post office and get a postal money order and send that in the mail. And then the person would go check the mailbox and wait for the postal money order to show up before shipping the products. And that's how pretty much all the transactions on eBay were in the early days. And then when PayPal came along, it seemed like an absolute miracle. And now you can send money via email. And it was great until PayPal started blocking transactions and freezing accounts and saying, you can't sell this type of thing or you can't sell that sort of thing. And then later, you know, of course, when Bitcoin came along, it made me incredibly excited about that because I saw firsthand how difficult it was to make payments on the Internet, uh, especially international payments. Uh, and then I guess you know, there's a lot to cover. Um, how I became a libertarian was by studying economics. The more economics books I read, the more libertarian I became. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just kind of started out with kind of bland stuff. And then uh, before I knew it, I found Murray Rothbard. Yeah, yeah. It, it turned my world upside down. And, yeah. and the part that I think was the, the moment where I was really, you know, took the red pill there. And I've been, you know, I grew up in the U.S. and was taught the whole time that, you know, it's a good thing that the military can draft people because if there's a big war, the government has to be able to defend the country and that the draft is a good thing. And I'd also been taught growing up that, you know, kidnapping and slavery is wrong. Like you shouldn't kidnap people and you shouldn't enslave people. That's wrong. And then here was Murray Rothbard pointing out that the military draft is it's exactly that. It's kidnapping and enslaving people. And yeah. and I remember this, you know, this sick to my stomach feeling as my entire world got turned upside down when I realized that, wait a minute, all the people in government are claiming the right to be able to kidnap and enslave everybody if there's a war. But kidnapping and slavery is wrong. So if these people are claiming the right to kidnap and enslave everybody, they're not the good guys. It turns out mm -hmm. these people that I've been brainwashed in the government schools my whole life into thinking that, that they were the good guys, it turned out that they're actually the bad guys. And uh, my life has never been the same ever since. And that was, I think, the, the moment that tipped me over the edge from being a, you know, a small government type person to a, to a fallen anarchist. Like, there's no justification for this whatsoever. And then later, of course, you know, I found others like Larkin Rose, and he just points <laughs> out this just this you know giant religion, and everybody's brainwashed into believing it. And just like when you're a little kid, everybody tells you Santa Claus is real, you believe it. Well, if you grow up and everybody telling you get you know government, you have to have government or the world would fall apart. You believe it, but if you stop and think about it objectively, there's no way Santa could come down everybody's chimney uh, all in one night around the world. And there's no such thing as flying reindeers. And when you stop and think about it, well. How can a bunch of you know people delegate rights that they don't have individually to some organization mm -hmm. to do something like you can't delegate a right that you don't have? So all of government's just this made up delusion and and uh, you know make believe nonsense that just like Santa Claus, everybody believes in because everybody told them it was real. And if they would stop to think for a few minutes about Santa Claus, they'll figure out that the, he's not real. And the same is true about the legitimacy of the state. They have no legitimacy. Uh, you can't delegate a right you don't have yourself. And uh, but it wasn't those arguments that won me over initially. It was the economic arguments. If you, mm -hmm. I, I remember reading Adam Smith's *The Wealth of Nations* from cover to cover, and that, that quick, pretty quickly converts you into a you know a small government type of guy. Mm -hmm. And then just the more you study it around the world, any time government's involved in the economy anywhere, it's disrupting people from being able to engage in free trade. And anytime anybody buys or sells anything with anybody voluntarily, 
both people are better off after the trade happens. Otherwise, the trade wouldn't take place. And so anytime the government's interfering in that, they're preventing the world from becoming as wealthy and as prosperous of a place as it otherwise would have become. And uh, so anyhow, all those things kind of came together. And uh, I think you wanted to touch on this uh, at, at some point uh, in the interview, but uh, I started reading all this and, and I realized, well, wait a minute, you know, if people understood this, they wouldn't want the government to be, you know, controlling prices and taxing this and meddling in that. And so we need to get the word out about this to make the world a better place. If people had this knowledge, they could improve the world. And so I decided to run for California State Assembly as a libertarian candidate. Mm -hmm. And even on my campaign website, I said, if I were elected, I wouldn't accept any salary whatsoever because that would come from taxpayers that might not want to pay my salary. And then I said that I would repeal as many laws as I possibly could, including the, the drug war laws, uh, I said that, uh, you know, anything, anybody that's in prison for a victimless crime should be let out right away. And uh, and this was, you know, in the, the year 2000, so much, much fresher in the public's consciousness at that time. But it hadn't been too many years after this event that took place in Waco, Texas. And there was a, a religious church group there. And they were a bit of a, you know, wacky religious group there. But that's OK. People can be wacky religious people if they yeah, want to. And basically, right. wound, Yeah, it's their right. And what wound up happening is, is basically the United States government murdered and I, I should have looked it up before the we started recording this, but I think it was something like 30-something kids that were less than 12 years old, and it was like 80-something people all together. And they were all in their church, and they, they locked them in there and burnt the whole place to the ground while they were in there after shooting a whole bunch of tear gas in there. And so like, okay, you do that some, to some adults, that's really bad. You do that to, I think it was 30-something kids less than 12 years old, like, and a bunch of them are, you know, two, three, four, five, six-year-old kids. Like, it almost makes me want to cry. Think about it 20 years later. I mean, anybody that's met a kid, imagine burning that kid to death in a building after shooting full of tears. That's just plain evil, right? Yeah. And it's your tax dollars that pays for the evil. And then the ATF and the FBI, they go on TV and they go in the media and they parade around like they're the good guys. Yeah. No, they're evil incarnate. And then you see these other brainwashed Americans saying, oh, well, I don't support the, the wars, but we have to support our troops. Well, imagine yourself, you know, in, in, in Star Wars, when you say, I don't support Darth Vader, but I support the stormtroopers. It's the exact same thing. If they're doing evil, it doesn't matter if they're told to do evil. Like it's the, the you don't do it, right? If I told you to go out and, you know, kill a bunch of innocent people, the correct response on your part is no. And the correct response from the DEA agents and the FBI agents and the military and everybody else when they're told to go and do something that's evil, the correct response on their part should be no. And if they don't say no and they go and do something evil, they're the evil bad guy. There's no excuse for that and they need to stop. And so I was saying these sorts of things in the political debates there against the Republican and Democratic candidates. And it turned out that there were some plain clothed ATF agents uh, in the audience there. And I had already been fairly successful in, in my business at that point. I'm just a you know 20 year old young man. And actually, you know, Super long story short, you can find some of the longer versions on my own YouTube channel. But the, I even tried to hire some of the undercover ATF agents to work for me. Wow. Um, that's how crazy these you know ATF agents are. And uh, they started looking to me, and they wanted to you know toss me in jail for calling them the the murdering evil the people that they are for doing the things that they did. And uh, I wound up becoming the only person in the entire nation to be prosecuted for selling a firecracker on eBay. Uh, 
that I didn't know was illegal. If I knew it was illegal, I wouldn't have bothered selling those anyhow. Not that something being legal or illegal is, is the arbiter of morality, but mm-hmm. if you want to wind up, if you don't want to wind up in direct trouble, probably don't do things that are illegal, even if it's totally morally justifiable to do those things. And at some point, you know, there's a line in the sand. If they started rounding up, you know, Jews or people, I'd gladly hide as many as I could in my attic. And so people, you know, they, they need to stop and think, you know, the worst atrocities that have happened in all of humankind they weren't done by criminals like Charlie Manson. They were done by people following the law and obeying the you know, leaders of nation states. Mm-hmm. That's when the greatest evils of all of history have taken place. So uh, anyhow, wound up being tossed in the federal prison for uh, 10 months for selling these firecrackers. Um, got out, did a couple of years of federal probation there, three years. The day I was allowed to leave the U.S., I left the U.S. And I just kept my mouth shut about everything political. Uh, didn't want any trouble. Still had these thoughts in my mind and in my heart and, and, and knew that, you know, government's out there doing evil things around the world to, to innocent people, but didn't want any more trouble in my own personal life. So I just kept quiet about that. And uh, then uh, let's see, it would have been uh, about almost a decade later, right? Maybe a, uh, eight years later there, I heard about Bitcoin for the first time. And then I realized, you know, this is kryptonite to the state. This is mm-hmm. kryptonite to all these people that are trying to do evil things around the world. And there is absolutely nothing that I could possibly do in my life other than start promoting this full time. Because if we have a peer to peer electronic cash system for the world in which anybody can buy or sell anything they want or pay for it across borders, uh, it creates more economic freedom, more economic freedom creates more economic growth, more economic growth creates a higher standard of living for everybody around the world. And it gives people the opportunity to opt out of corrupt systems. If you don't Mm want to pay, for people to go and murder people around the world by dropping bombs on them or rounding them up into camps or doing who knows what it gives people, you know, the the opportunity to opt out of that system basically infinitely more easily than they were ever able to before the invention of that. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so it became my life's mission to promote peer to peer electronic cash for the world. At the moment I'm most known for Bitcoin cash, but I'm not a Bitcoin cash maximalist. I'm a maximalist for whatever works to empower individuals to have more control over their own money in their own lives and disempower the state from being able to control people in, the, in their lives. And I think today Bitcoin Cash has the best chance at doing that. And so I'm the most excited about Bitcoin Cash. And as we're recording this, Bitcoin is hitting all time new highs. That's great. That's fantastic. There's lots of libertarians that are holding lots of Bitcoin and making lots of money because of that. Mm-hmm. But it's not exciting to me because Bitcoin at this point with its high fees, like how does it benefit the world if most of the world can't even afford to make a transaction in in Bitcoin when it costs so much money to transact and chain? Whereas something like a Bitcoin Cash or a Dash or a Ripple or any of these other coins out there that cost a fraction of a penny to use, that's much more exciting to bring more economic freedom and liberty to people all around the world and disempower the state from being able to control people. So I'm a utilitarian maximist. I'm promoting Mm. whatever I think is the most useful to the most number of people around the world. And today that I think it's Bitcoin Cash. That doesn't mean I don't like the other cryptocurrencies. It's just I think Bitcoin Cash with Cash Fusion and its fast, cheap, reliable transactions and private transactions, this is fantastic to empower people all over the world. And so I'm the most excited about that one today. But uh, you know, I own a wide basket of all sorts of cryptocurrencies, and it's still uh, my mission today to bring more economic freedom to more people around the world through the the use of cryptocurrency and and making it easier and easier for people to use cryptocurrency around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that uh, I, we were just talking about on the show, I think we should probably give away some free Bitcoin cash uh, to people on the show. And I was going to show you that right from within the Bitcoin.com wallet, um, we've added the feature where you can send Bitcoin cash on chain 
okay. to any email address, to any Telegram, to any WhatsApp, to any Facebook Messenger, to absolutely any signal, of course, uh, you know, any, any and every possible way that you have to communicate with people, you can do from right within the app there. And all you need is the Bitcoin.com wallet, so even text messages and, and email and everything else. And I assume, John, although I didn't ask you before the call, do you happen to have the Bitcoin.com wallet installed on your phone? Uh, I do, but I don't have any Bitcoin cash on it. You're about to. So if, if I could ask you to, to uh, hit the receive button on your, your uh, app there. All right, let me pull it up here. So yep. Bitcoin.com is the URL that you acquired. When did you purchase Bitcoin.com? Uh, 2014. I paid a lot of Bitcoin for that domain name. And the <laughs> goal from day one was to use it not just to promote Bitcoin adoption, but to spread the ideals of voluntarism and free markets and the benefits that you know, free markets bring to the entire world. And so we've been doing that. And so pretty much all the news writers we have over there are voluntarist and cap types. And uh, they're striking at the root of the state and the, and the perceived legitimacy of the, the perceived legitimacy of the state. We want people to wake up and realize that it's no more real than, you know, Santa Claus or, or something else out there. So yeah. um, it's a great website, too. It's very sleek. And it's a place that I send people when they are new to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency because you present all the information in a very consumable way, which I think is great. This is the wallet too. It's a good yeah. wallet. It's very simple and safe and secure. And for beginners, simplicity is really important. For the longest time, there weren't very many simple things in crypto. And I, that was a point of frustration for me, but it's getting simpler uh, which I think is good. Okay, so I'm going to send you an address for Bitcoin Cash. No, you don't even have to do that. Let's do this if you don't mind. Hit the receive button on your app, and I'm going to send it right over the video call for people to watch. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, hit the receive button in your app and hold it right up to the camera there if you're okay. Oh, with all right, that. well, let's see if the quality's yep. good enough there for it that. It is, so this hold it fun. nice and steady. Maybe a little bit closer to the camera if you can. For the podcast audience, we're doing a QR code here on the there screen. There we go. It looks pretty so I've clear. Scanned it. No, hold it up so other people can watch if you don't mind. I've never so done I, crypto like that. <laughs> so now I'm going to send, I'm sending you a thousand bucks. You have a new sponsor for your podcast and you didn't, oh, didn't know I was going to do that. <laughs> but I want, but I want you to give away half of that, right? Okay. And then we'll tell the free state store. So now you have a thousand bucks worth of Bitcoin cash. If you hit the homepage and go back to the homepage. Okay. There it the is. There, you'll see there it is. And where it becomes really fun now, if you hit the send button, uh, you'll see the third option there says shareable link. Okay. Uh, so share. you said send Bitcoin cash and then shareable link. Let me see. All right. I'm clicking send. And again, you can get this wallet at Bitcoin.com. All right. I see paste my wallets and contacts. Uh, so you got to go back one screen. You went, you went too far. So. All right. So click send. Yep. Click send. Send. Same thing. Oh, so you need to go in the Play Store and download the latest version of the app. Uh, All right, let me update the app while we're live here on the air. Let's. Uh, so while I'm doing that, why don't you share with me how you would explain uh, cryptocurrency in general? Why is cryptocurrency valuable and what's the great innovation that Satoshi Nakamoto brought to the world with cryptocurrency as he iterated it? Yeah, so... Bitcoin made me so excited because it allowed you to send and receive any amount of money with anyone anywhere in the world instantly, basically for free. And there was nothing that anybody could do to stop it. And that's one of the most powerful inventions in the entire history of the world uh, since the internet, right? Like if you think some of the most important inventions in all of humankind, the internet of course is one, electricity is another, the wheel is another, the printing press is another, 
and Bitcoin. That's right up there in the same category as those other ones. That's how big of a deal this is. And so when this came along, I needed to tell everybody about this. And so one of the very first things I did, being an ardent libertarian and fan of the Free State Project and those guys, uh, I reached out to all the guys over at Free State, uh, the Free Talk, Free Talk Live, Live. Mm -hmm. uh, the School Sucks podcast, the the uh, you know the Dame of Freedom, uh, Friedman. What was their Motorhome Diaries tour yeah, uh, back in the day? Cool. If you remember that, yeah. Uh -huh. And so I was sending all of these guys Bitcoin back then, telling them, "Hey, this is going to change everything." And so my entire focus was on the libertarians who are part of the Free State Project movement there. And I went to the Pork Fest event, I think, in 2012. Got everybody there using Bitcoin and was just handing it out to everybody and giving some of everybody some Bitcoin, just like I did to you. And my request there with that, though, so I sent you a thousand bucks. I'd like you to give half of that away to your viewers and other people. Just you know, pay it forward and the other half is for you. But once okay. the app is done downloading, we've made it so easy. You literally hit the send button and then you'll choose what's called shareable link. Yeah. So here we go. All right, and you're, right. you're already at what twenty two dollars since I sent it to you. <laughs> it was one. It was one thousand thirteen when you actually sent it. Now it's one thousand twenty two. So that's so you'll that's hit the send button. There. All right, so we're gonna hit send. I'm gonna select Bitcoin Cash, and, and I see shareable, shareable link. link. Yep. All right, we're gonna click shareable link. And so choose how much you want to give away for the first one. Maybe ten I'll bucks. Give away, we'll give away ten bucks. bucks. Whatever you want to do, it's it's your money now. All so. right, let's do it. All right, ten dollars. Continue. Uh, slide to send. Yep. So it's that's gonna... confirming that you want to do that. And notice the fee okay. to do that is zero dollars and zero cents. So it's about a twentieth of a penny per transaction. Yeah. And I gotta... now you should see she see a little pop up that you probably shouldn't show to the camera, but it'll right. show every contact person and every every contact method. So I just, just copied like, the link. Is that what I need to do here? You can do that as well, and you can paste it right in your chat room, or you can send it to your, okay. your best I'm, buddies on I'm, whatever chat app. So I'm sending it via Telegram to my computer, and now I'm going to post it here in the comments. So everyone that's watching live right now on YouTube, Facebook, I'll try to get one to D live also. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna post it here, and then whoever claims it first, I presume, is. Do they have to have the Bitcoin.com wallet or do they need to import a private key, scan you the can, private key? Yeah, you can do it with any wallet that's capable of importing a private key. Okay. The Bitcoin.com wallet, of course, is an easy one. Other wallets that can do it are Electron Cash, Bread Wallet, Blockchain. There, there's a bunch of okay, There it goes. It's on so, my YouTube channel. It's on the Facebook agorism page, Live Free Now Facebook, Conscious Resistance Network Facebook, which probably a significant number of people are watching uh, from there. And so whoever gets that first, if you're already into crypto and you have a wallet, you got to sweep the private key. You'll probably scan it or just import it. And then if you don't, you might be able to beat the people that are already into crypto and go to Bitcoin.com and download a wallet. I'm going to send one to the DLive audience as well. We'll do another 10 bucks. I got a, a cool thing to share with you. So my kids are way into cryptocurrency, which I'm totally excited about. They love money too. So I have no fear <laughs> that when they get older, they're going to they're gonna do well and be entrepreneurs and stuff. And they're little voluntarists as well. And so I started, my son does chores, right? And rather than paying him every week, a larger sum, I wanted to do like little micro payments. And so it's like, well, if I was going to pay you two bucks for this big load of dishes here, but I can't send Bitcoin because the normal fee right now is like two to three dollars. And so it would totally defeat the purpose. So he already had some BCH set up. Um, so I got him set up on that and send him little two dollars, one dollar here for a smaller load or a smaller chore. 
And we were totally blown away by the transaction fee, which was like 0. 0.000006 of a penny or a dollar, something like that. And uh, he was super excited about that. And he understood the innovation of Bitcoin Cash and how the block size is bigger. So there's more transactions. And later on, he was like, Dad, so if somebody wanted to send like all the money in the world, how, would the transaction fee be bigger? And I'm like, no, it'd be the same transaction fee to send infinite money. Now you can do that with Bitcoin too, but you can't send the small payments with Bitcoin, which I think is a big, a big hurdle. So let me get this other $10 set up to drop. And uh, why don't you share with us a little bit of the history and the controversy surrounding how should we as a community scale the Bitcoin network? There were quickly two camps and a whole lot of infighting. And finally, there was two solutions and a split. So can you give us a little bit of that, that history? Yeah, so around maybe 20, the, the argument started brewing maybe around 2014 and got heated and more and more heated as each year went by there. And the, the general argument from the two sides of the camp just there were that uh, Bitcoin needs to remain decentralized. I think actually everybody agrees Bitcoin needs to remain decentralized in order for it to be censorship resistant. And there was a a difference of opinion as to what the best strategy was to maintain that censorship resistance of Bitcoin. And so one side was the, under the impression that you need to keep the, the maximum block size small so you can run a Bitcoin full node on a very cheap computer on a poor internet connection. Uh, and th that side put out some different videos saying that sort of thing. Uh, and basically- and, re and real quick, can you explain what a block is and why the block size is important and how that all works into the transactions coming through? Great point, John. And I've been in this space so long, sometimes I forget <laughs> that some people have no idea of what a block what. Yeah. So um, I'll back up a little bit here. So there's this magical thing that everyone's talked about called the blockchain. And all the blockchain is, is it's just a fancy word for saying it, uh, a ledger. But instead of the ledger just being kept track of on one computer or one server somewhere in a, a data center, it's kept track of on everybody's computer that's running a full node copy of the Bitcoin software. And so it's on tens of thousands of different computers around the world. And all those copies of that Bitcoin ledger all get updated together at the exact same time. And each update to that ledger is called a block. And it's just a block is a fancy name for an update to the ledger because it all happens in sync around the world. And each block is, or each update to the ledger is supposed to happen on average every 10 minutes. And on Bitcoin, the maximum amount of new data that's allowed to be added to that ledger is about one megabyte worth of data. Uh, and so in that one megabyte worth of data, you can fit around 2,500 transactions. Or, uh, and so the problem that Bitcoin had is as it became more and more popular, because more and more people started to use it as money for payments, more than 2,500 people were trying to make a transaction every 10 minutes. But there was just one megabyte worth of room for them uh, to make those transactions. So since there were only room for 2,500 people, if you were the 2,501st person, your transaction wouldn't get included. So people started to have to bid against each other and pay higher and higher fees for inclusion in that block uh, space. And in fact, uh, the amount of people waiting in line for their inclusion to be included or their transaction to be included in the Bitcoin blockchain at the end of 2017, it reached to where there was $50 fee on average. And oftentimes people were paying thousands of dollars in fees for a single transaction. And the average transaction time to be included in the ledger and be recorded became more than two weeks. And a lot of people don't rough. realize this. That was but a it rough was, period. Bit, yeah, Bitcoin became unusable at that point because nobody wants to pay $50 on average and wait two weeks for your transaction to go through. Bank of America can do a much better job than that. 
And I remember myself sending around payments that got stuck in the memory pool line there and didn't go through. And it was an absolute disaster for anybody trying to use Bitcoin for They payments. did eventually go through, however. So the technology- No, not no. all of them did go through. Lots of them got dropped from Just the memory pool altogether. And then you would have to go and send it again a couple of weeks later. And it was a really, really big headache for everybody involved. And, and as I was, I was talking to, you know, one of the founders of BitGo, for people that don't know, BitGo is probably the largest custodian uh, platform for all the exchanges. Most of the cryptocurrency exchanges around the world are using BitGo as a platform. And the I was talking with the founder of BitGo and he was saying, he said, like the high fees, like, of course they're annoying, but we can deal with that. It's the uncertainty of the transaction going through or not that we can't deal with. Like, mm -hmm. if you don't know if your transaction is going to go through or not, how do you deal with that? How do you solve with that? And it was a, it was an absolute disaster for the adoption of Bitcoin around the world. And it delayed the adoption of cryptocurrencies around the world by it set us back by at least half a decade. Right. Everybody's excited because, oh, you know, Bitcoin's twenty three thousand dollars today. It probably would have been twenty three thousand dollars back in 2017 if it hadn't run into the scaling uh, roadmap block. And if it hadn't had reverse merchant adoption, if we didn't have companies like Microsoft that used to accept Bitcoin and then stop, companies like Expedia had to stop accepting Bitcoin, all sorts of businesses all over the world, including like, you know, I was the most passionate Bitcoin promoter in the entire world. It's embarrassing to try and promote Bitcoin to people today. What would I tell them? Yeah, there's this, there's this new money that it's really slow to send and expensive and your transaction is going to be charged back. But everybody else is buying it because it has this cool Bitcoin name. So if you buy it now, you can sell it for more dollars later. Like I wouldn't feel good about myself promoting that to the world today, but I'd feel great uh, about myself promoting things like Bitcoin Cash or, or Monero or Zcash or these other privacy coins. Like those are awesome because I can tell people with a straight face, hey, for basically free, you can send and receive any amount of money with anyone in the world instantly, privately. Nobody can block your transactions. Nobody can freeze your account. Nobody can mess with this in any way. And as more people around the world start using it for their payments to buy and sell things like coffee or whatever else, um, the price is going to go up over time because there's a limited supply of these things. It's just a win-win situation. So whereas with Bitcoin, what do you tell people? Buy it now before the big institutions buy it, and then you can sell it back for more dollars later. That's not well, a compelling argument I think, for me. At this I think point, it still so. does have utility. And I, I think that you object to this term. And, and you, I don't know if I saw something with you inferring that this was like uh, not a conspiracy, but an effort to make it such. But the whole digital gold phenomenon, store of value, hedge against the stock market, hedge against the dollar, hedge against inflation. There does seem to be utility in that and that you buy a significant amount and then you hold it as a protection like deeper savings. What do you, What do you say to that? Yeah, I think that's the argument that so many people are making. But man, pick up some economics books. The thing that everybody uses as a store value is the most commonly accepted medium of exchange. So in the US, everybody saves their money in dollars because you can spend dollars anywhere. If you tomorrow, if tomorrow you couldn't spend dollars anywhere, nobody would be saving their money in dollars. They'd be saving their money in whatever you're able to spend anywhere. And so you can't separate that store value from some other use case. You can't think of a single thing in the entire history of humankind that was only used as a store of value that didn't have some additional use case. So if you take away the additional use case from the thing that's being used as a store of value, it's no longer going to be used as a store of value. And we're seeing a lot of that happen with Bitcoin to some extent. But like you said, you can still use Bitcoin very easily for big payments. If you want to pay yeah. someone $100,000 and it costs you nine bucks, okay, that's fine. That's not a big deal. But if you want to pay someone five bucks and yeah. it costs you five bucks to, to send it, you can't. Like Bitcoin's done for that. And so I think yeah. at some point, 
The cryptocurrency that is accepted as payment in more places around the world than Bitcoin will wind up being the cryptocurrency that people use as a store of value. And maybe Bitcoin will get its act together and figure out how to handle all this. But you see all these people out there saying, oh, PayPal or Square, they're going to build apps where you can use Bitcoin to pay for everything. And they're talking about custodial services. Well, if you, we already saw what happened with that, right? You used to Gold used to be money. And then you used to tr transfer the ownership of gold using custodial services. Mm -hmm. And before you knew it, you undermined gold so much that nobody even uses gold anymore. Because it's because of the custodial services. And yet yeah. fractional gold reserves going on and all sorts of a mess. Like, don't think you're not going to have fractional Bitcoin reserves going on if everybody's trying to transact using Bitcoin. But with, where it's just some custodian holding the Bitcoin for you. Who knows if they yeah. have We've the already seen that happen with Alcox. So whereas if you can transact yeah. on-chain directly, you know you have your own Bitcoin Cash. You know you have your own Monero. You know you have your own whatever. Uh, that's a really, really powerful tool. And you're not going to be debased or cheated by custodians out there. So Yeah. And that was the true innovation, the peer-to-peer decentralized, non, the trustless aspect. Well, then let me ask you this, because Roger Ver and John Bush don't speak for the market. The market speaks for itself. And the market is indicating that a lot of people find a lot of value in Bitcoin, even though it isn't very effective as a peer-to-peer -peer digital cash. So what do you say to that? Yeah, I think the market is never done speaking. Uh, and I think most of the people are just FOMOing into Bitcoin at this point. Bitcoin is the brand, the brand name that they recognize. And they... When they think about Bitcoin, they imagine the user experience that somebody has with Bitcoin Cash. And so actually just uh, either yesterday or, or maybe 48 hours ago, I was talking to one of these billionaire hedge fund manager guys. He's like, yep, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. He was wearing his Bitcoin hat and this and that. And he's bought, you know, tens of millions, if not $100 million plus worth of Bitcoin. And I asked him, I said, have you ever made a single Bitcoin transaction? And he had to think about it. And he thinks he has, but he wasn't even entirely sure. And it was just moving Bitcoin from his Coinbase account to, uh, I think he said it was his like Fidelity account or one of these other custodians. And he wasn't even sure if he actually made an on-chain transaction or not. And so then I sent him some Bitcoin cash and showed him how it worked. And maybe the gears started turning in his head there. But there's just so many people, they, they hear Bitcoin and they think, oh, I've heard of that one. It has the biggest market cap. Everybody can't be wrong. But no, everybody can be wrong, right? Like look at statism, right? Everybody believes in the state but it's just made up nonsense. And if you interviewed everybody under you know, eight years old or five years old, they all believe in Santa Claus too, but that doesn't mean that's not real. Yeah. And so I think at some point people are gonna wake up in regards to statism and believe that that's just a mass illusion. And they're gonna wake up to the fact that Bitcoin's the best store of value. No, it's not. There's something with a hard cap supply or, or certainly a, a certain supply and works as a medium of exchange is a much, much better store of value than, uh, than Bitcoin is. And people are gonna figure mm -hmm. that out at some point. And, I see all these people say, oh, look at Gresham's law. That's why Bitcoin's like winning out or nobody wants to spend their Bitcoin. They don't even understand what Gresham's law is. Gresham's law only applies when the government sets a fixed exchange rate between the good money and the bad money. So if you have a quarter that's made out of silver and you have a quarter that's made out of whatever lesser money they make it out of today and the government mandates that they have to have the same value in the market, nobody's going to spend the silver quarters. They're going to spend the other quarters. That doesn't apply to Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or any of these other cryptocurrencies where the, where the exchange rates allowed to fluctuate. So uh, mm. it's just crazy how often I see these just absolutely ridiculous arguments out there from people that, you know, please pick up Adam Smith, pick up Richard <laughs> Mises, pick, pick up basic. Murray Rothbard. Yeah, pick up. Uh, and actually, that's another fun thing. Like I earned a bunch of money through cryptocurrency. So now I'm getting to spend it on all sorts of fun things. Uh, the first big thing I did is I donated over a million dollars to the Foundation for Economic Education. 
I was lucky enough to have a subscription to their fantastic newsletter called The Freeman as a Young Man that really had a big impact on me. So I wanted to uh, give money back to them. And cool. uh, I'm uh, we're about to announce another big uh, donation to the Foundation for Economic Education, but one that's even more fun that I'm engaged in here at the moment. I'm, I'm on this call with you from the country of Antigua. It's a little country in the Caribbean with less than 100,000 people. And uh, we just made a donation in Bitcoin Cash to one of the schools here. And uh, every single high school student in the school is going to get a copy of Economics in One Lesson by Henry <laughs> Hazlitt. Nine. And then we're not just doing it for the one high school. I'm going to do it for every single school in the country. Wow. And every single high school student in the entire country is going to read Economics in One Lesson as part of their curriculum. And every single high school student in the country is going to get some Bitcoin cash with it. Cool. And so pretty quickly, it's not going to take too many years of graduating high school students before the entire country has a far better understanding of economics than most people in most of the world. And if you haven't read economics in one lesson, you can read it in the afternoon and you will understand the world much more clearly than you do before having read that book. And so I'm really excited to see the, the effect that that's gonna have here in Antigua, a country that already has such an amazing starting point, a country with no personal income tax, no personal capital gains tax. You don't even have to file a tax return at the end of the year. Uh, it's such an amazing, amazing starting point here. So if you buy a bunch of crypto and you're an Antigua, and you, if you want to become an Antiguan citizen, you can do it right now and pay for the entire thing in Bitcoin cash or cryptocurrency. You can wow. visit uh, AntiguaHelp.com and you can pay for the whole thing over there in cryptocurrency and enjoy. Come be my neighbor in Antigua. This place is fantastic. Yeah. You can spend it. You can buy. I bought. I'm buying gasoline for my car at the gas station in Bitcoin cash. You can buy anything and everything here in Bitcoin cash. There's. It's a little tiny country, but we have a over 60 locations now accepting Bitcoin Cash around the country. And that's a big number when you realize how small the country is, right? That's almost one business for every 1,000 people we have in the country. That's a really, really, it's probably the densest adoption of cryptocurrency anywhere in the world at this point, I'd have to check. Nice. So uh, it, can, it should definitely be your next vacation spot here. But uh, it's really exciting to be able to do all of this. And peer-to-peer uh, -peer electronic cash systems make more economic freedom for the entire world digital store of values that people can't even afford to transact with uh, on chain. I guess it's good because it kind of undermines the US dollar a bit and makes it harder for the US government to fund their wars and that sort of thing. So that's nice, but it's not anywhere near as liberating to people around the world as an actual peer-to-peer yeah. -peer electronic cash system is. Yeah, and I saw you point that out elsewhere. Maybe it was on your Twitter feed where it, you know, the whole idea was that the unbanked can become banked and they can have a way to store value, to send value, to send and receive even globally or like migrant workers can send it back home. But when there's a down economy and or, you know, a developing world and a lot of the goods and services that they buy and sell don't even cost a dollar and you have to send a couple dollars with Bitcoin and just makes it unworkable. Let me see. Um, my old friend Joe, uh, Joe Burwell here on Facebook says, cannot someone start a parallel Bitcoin too that operates the exact same way at any time and then get traction if enough demand is there for it? And that's essentially what happened with the Bitcoin Cash hard fork. Before you share about that, I was messing with the phone earlier to get that stuff sent out, but uh, can you share what the two solutions were that came up, the two competing solutions? I don't know if you covered that, the lightning network and segregated witness on one hand, and then a simple hard fork with an increased block side, which became Bitcoin Cash on the other hand. Can you first talk about what this lightning network solution is and why why you don't believe in it? Sure. So way, way and I guess to clarify, like I... I'll believe it when I see it working in regards sure. to the Lightning Network. And so in 2014 or 15, they were started promoting this thing called the Lightning Network. And the, the guy that came up with the idea for it, even he, he says you have to have like, you know, 
big blocks, 100 plus megabyte blocks on Bitcoin in order for Lightning Network to work. So even if they ever get it working, it'll work better on Bitcoin Cash than on Bitcoin. But the idea behind that was that you'd be able to make a bunch of transactions kind of on off chain, like sitting a layer above. And the way it kind of works is imagine if I have a piece of string with beads on it and my string is connected to, to John and John's is connected to somebody else I want to pay. I slide the, the, the beads that represent Bitcoins on my string to John. But when they reach John, they can't slide from the one string to the other string. John has to already have Bitcoin beads on the other string that he then uses to pay to the other people. And so basically it's incredibly more complex than Bitcoin transactions are. The recipient has to be online and connected to the internet in order to be able to receive the transactions. And this thing hasn't even been built yet. Whereas with Bitcoin, we had the winning formula. We knew it worked. It was getting more and more traction on the world. People were using it. They don't have to be online to receive a payment. Businesses all over the world, from Microsoft to Expedia to Dell Computer, were accepting it for payments. It was the, the darling of the world at this point. So we had what we knew worked for sure. They traded that away for something that they hoped might possibly someday potentially work. And here we are, you know, more than half a half decade later, Lightning Network is nowhere even remotely close to being uh, used. And and their fear was is that if they upgraded the block size, there would be a split uh, of the Bitcoin network. Well, that's exactly what wound up happening. They refused to upgrade the network, so there was a split. And there wasn't just a split into Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. There was a split from Bitcoin into Ethereum, into Litecoin, into you know, on and on and on, to where Bitcoin lost almost all of its first mover advantage because of that. And it's just uh, stunning. And then here they are still today. In fact, that Bitcoin maximalist billionaire guy I was talking to less than 40 hours ago, one of the things he said to me, he said, well, what about Lightning Network? And I asked him, I said, have you ever made a Lightning Network transaction? No. <laughs> it's like, it's, I never it's, have either. It's so it, damn complex and complicated. I'm trying to onboard new folks. I don't even want to bring the damn thing up for people. It'll, they'll be like, what the hell is that? And when I was studying it and trying to figure it out, it seems like it takes away the whole peer-to-peer -peer essence of Bitcoin. And so a solution that you got on board with was to fork the blockchain away and develop this new but old, in fact, many would argue the original Bitcoin uh, into Bitcoin Cash. Can you talk about what that process was, what a hard fork was, and what Bitcoin Cash ultimately became? Yeah, so I'd actually love to clear up, uh, clear up a misconception there. So all over the internet, all over the place, you see people saying, Roger Veer, creator of Bitcoin Cash, or founder of Bitcoin Cash, or, or this and that. The truth of the matter is I had absolutely nothing to do with the creation of Bitcoin Cash. Uh, I was still busy arguing over Bitcoin mm -hmm. and arguing that they need to increase the block size on Bitcoin so that people can continue to use it and uh, implement this thing called SegWit on Bitcoin as well. And so there was this compromise agreement that was reached in which they would implement segregated witness and increase the block size on top of Bitcoin there. And everybody thought that was going to happen. All the big businesses were on board and somehow a very, very vocal uh, minority managed to, to basically scuttle that and make it so that didn't happen. You think there was a conspiracy there? I've heard utterings of big banks and like Larry Summers is on board with Blockstream, this this corporation, very powerful. What, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I'm, crazier things have certainly happened in the world, right? Out there, I, there's just because something's a conspiracy theory doesn't mean it's not true. And so like really, really wild, crazy things have happened in the world. You know, the U.S. government's injecting people with you know, LSD secretly to test them with it. That would sound crazy. And in fact, I was I was listening to a, an old rebroadcast uh, recently of a Coast to Coast AM for anybody that's familiar with that show. Yeah. I think I, I've heard you as a guest on there over the years. Yeah, me and Catherine were on way back in the day. So, 
Um, but I was listening to an episode from like, I don't know, the late 1990s or something back when Art Bell was a host. I was listening to it maybe a year ago on an airplane somehow. It came up. And the guest was talking about how the NSA is spying on everybody and they're uh -huh. tapping into everybody's everything and they have project this and project that and they're spying on every American with everything. And listening to the callers on the show and the host, you could tell everybody thought like, this is an entertaining guest you have here. Of course, they're not spying on everybody. This is America. The NSA would never spy on people like that. This is crazy talk. Like like most of the guests that they have a lot of times on that show, that's what the, the genre of the show is. And here I was listening to the show, you know, about two decades later, and it was like, oh my God, this guy was spot on about everything. He wasn't some crazy conspiracy theorist. He was exactly right. The NSA was spying on everybody and was mm -hmm. tapping to everybody and everything. And so if I can put my conspiracy theory hat on in regards to Bitcoin, just a conspiracy theory at this point, but it doesn't mean it's not going to turn out to be completely true someday. Mm -hmm. um, and we know without any doubt whatsoever that the CIA was interested in Bitcoin in 2010 when the price of Bitcoin was around 10 cents each. Uh, the CIA reached out to Gavin Andreessen, one of their early Bitcoin adopters, another libertarian voluntarist type, um, and asked him, hey, can you explain Bitcoin to us? We're interested in this. And so he explained Bitcoin to them. And you have to ask yourself, why would the U.S. government be interested in Bitcoin so early on? Well, one of the reasons are is because the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the entire world. If suddenly a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system that can't be shut down, can't be controlled, can't be monitored and tracked, and that anybody all over the planet can use to send and receive money, the U.S. dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status around the world. And so if, if I put on my evil you know, U.S. government uh, hat on and then I wanted to make sure the U.S. dollar continues to be the reserve currency of the world, I would want to do everything I could to disrupt Bitcoin from being usable as cash. And one of the most effective ways you could do to do that would be to limit the block size on Bitcoin so that people could no longer use it as cash and then change the narrative of Bitcoin's not supposed to be a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, like in the very title of the white paper that describes yeah. what Bitcoin is. No, 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 no. You guys have it all wrong. It's just supposed to be a store of value that you hold and you don't actually do anything with. And they success, you know, whether it was the U.S. government or whoever out there, the, the narrative successfully shifted about Bitcoin, that it's not supposed to be peer-to-peer -peer cash for the world now. It's supposed to be the store of value. And then they also tricked a bunch of people. Yeah, there it is, the title of the actual white paper. It's right there, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. Yet people now today, if you say that Bitcoin's supposed to be peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash, they get furious and they say, no, it's not. You're a scammer for even saying su such a crazy thing as that. And then they promised everybody the world that, oh, the Lightning Network will fix everything. But like, it never did. And it's not a conspiracy theory now, too. We know that the NSA was intentionally getting having their employees get jobs at encryption companies and then introduce weaknesses in the encryption so that the NSA could continue to spy on people so people wouldn't have good encryption. What makes you think that they wouldn't do the same sort of thing to disrupt Bitcoin as well? And in fact, we know without any doubt, Peter Todd, somebody who I met uh, uh, in early Bitcoin, he even admits that he was funded. The money came directly from somebody claiming to work for U.S. intelligence agency. He, they funded this very well done propaganda video against Bitcoin being able to scale the blocks to continue mm -hmm. to be money for the world. It was called, I don't pit, keep Bitcoin blocks small to keep it decentralized or something like that. You could find it on YouTube. There. That's double think. And it's absolute double think. And, and one thing that made me kind of think was strange about Peter Todd. I think I've met you a number of years at the different Anarcho-Polco conferences there as well, uh, John. Another, if, if you don't know what that, I think most of your listeners will be familiar with that conference as well. Another wonderful conference where you can meet all sorts of, you know, volunteers there 
Wonderful, wonderful experience. Peter Todd came to that first Anarchapulco there, and he was there, and he was just kind of walking, watching and didn't talk. He's a quiet guy to begin with, but like didn't seem to know or care a whole lot about the libertarian stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then he never came to another one ever again. Mm. And that just seemed really strange to me. And again, this is just complete conspiracy theory hat stuff for me at this point. But most people I met at Anarchopoco, they had such a wonderful time and loved it and so many interesting conversations. They want to go every single year and they want to go again and again and again. Peter Todd didn't have any of that. And Peter Peter Todd, for those that don't know, he's the guy that put out the propaganda video claiming to keep the blocks small on Bitcoin. And then he's also the guy that introduced this thing on Bitcoin called Replaced by Fee, which basically made Bitcoin transactions. It changed them. They used to be once you sent it, that's it. The transaction's not going to be reversed. The money's yours. They changed it so that Bitcoin transactions could be reversed and not just be reversed like for a few minutes. When the blocks are full, the transactions can be reversed for hours, days, or even weeks, depending on how big the backlog is in Bitcoin. So at the end of 2017, you could reverse Bitcoin transactions waiting to be included in a block for two weeks on average. And then they've implemented that that standard now for Bitcoin. You can reverse Mm. Bitcoin transactions. In fact, there's another video uh, on YouTube where the guy was demonstrating this with a a wallet, interestingly enough, put out by uh, Blockstream called Green Wallet. He, made, he bought something with Bitcoin, bought coffee at some merchant, and then walked right out the store. And he did this with the merchant's permission, walked outside the store, and then re- did a chargeback on his Bitcoin and got his Bitcoin back for the coffee that he had just paid. And is that they like did double this- spending? I thought the it was supposed to, we were supposed to be avoiding double spending. It is double spending, but they intentionally made double spending incredibly easy to do on Bitcoin, which mm. anybody that was trying to use Bitcoin for payments, and, and for those that don't know, I started BitcoinStore.com the first major e-commerce website that really put Bitcoin on the map for all the national news media. They always say, oh, Bitcoin, yeah, what can you buy with it? When I launched BitcoinStore.com in 2012, we could now say, oh, you can buy more than half a million consumer electronics products with Bitcoin, and most of the prices are cheaper than Amazon, too. And it really changed the narrative out there because before that, I was like, oh, you can buy some dope on the dark net or buy some alpaca socks. Now as you can buy you know, half a million different products. It was a really mm-hmm. big deal. And this stupid replaced by fee thing that made it easy for people to do double spins on Bitcoin, it makes it hard for people, merchants, to accept uh, Bitcoin for payments. And so that was openly paid for by somebody claiming to work for a U.S. intelligence agency. So my conspiracy theory half of the day is that this was the U.S. government intentionally disrupting Bitcoin's usefulness as money to maintain the U.S. dollar to be the world reserve currency. I don't have real super strong evidence of that, but there's a lot of really uh, interesting circumstantial evidence mm-hmm. out there about that. And maybe in a decade or two later, you know, WikiLeaks will leak some papers and turn <laughs> out that, that was all true. And then another interesting thing, the, all these attacks on Bitcoin Cash, like a lot of people try and call it Bcash out there. What happened is that somebody out there went and registered all the social media names of Bcash. They had Bcash on Twitter, Bcash.org, Bcash on Reddit. And then they set up all the social media accounts for Bcash to say negative things about Bitcoin Cash being peer-to-peer cash for the world. And then they tried to rename Bitcoin Cash into Bcash. So then if they own, you know, RB Cash and uh, slash Bcash on Facebook and all these different things, they could then use that to undermine Bitcoin Cash's ability to be peer-to-peer electronic cash for the world. So it's just attack after attack after attack. And it's really sophisticated. Uh, It's not just hobbyist stuff so much. It's really Mm -hmm. a seems to be pretty well organized and there's uh, a bunch really of censorship thing. too right on the bitcoin forum which was a big which was like the meeting space for crypto people to come debate and hash things out pun intended and that there was a lot of stuff getting deleted that was advocating for the fork right 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, thanks for bringing that up too. Yeah, and actually, when the debate was when the debate was still kind of brewing and simmering, I, I in my heart I was a big blocker and on chase, but I was quiet because I thought maybe there's a there's another argument out there that I I don't understand yet, and maybe there's a reason to keep the block small. And so I wanted to listen and think about that and, and absorb the information. And so I was quiet. I didn't say anything. And then all of a sudden one day. Boom, massive censorship across the entire Bitcoin community. So our Bitcoin on Reddit, which had more Bitcoin people getting their Bitcoin news than every single other website combined at that point. And then BitcoinTalk.org also. And anybody that had any sort of post in favor of Bitcoin scaling to be money for the world, they'd have their account deleted, or I'm sorry, their post deleted and their account banned from posting there. And when I saw the censorship happen, well, I think if you have two people disagreeing on something, one side is is supporting free and open discussion and open debate, and the other is resorting to censorship. That's all I need to know about which side is right in the argument yeah, there. And so as soon as I saw that happen, I said, well, now, now it's my turn to open my mouth and uh, <laughs> and say what I think about this argument. Because if Bitcoin's supposed to be censorship-resistant money for the world, you shouldn't be engaging in censorship to try and keep it that way. You've uh, the, There's another guy that maybe some of your listeners will be familiar with, uh, Carl Watner, who uh, he wrote a yeah, book. Yeah, the that's the one. So it's, I can tell I'm, you know, speaking to my, the same sort of, you know, mindset of people here. And he wrote, you know, the voluntarist. And I, I bought, uh, you know, there was a big book where they put together a whole bunch of his essays. Yeah. And the, here I am talking about it like 25 years after I read it, probably uh, 20, 20 something years later. And one of the points he made there, and you hear people sometimes talk about the ends justify the means or the ends don't justify the means uh, or, or this and that. And he pointed out that the means are the ends and whatever you put into something is what you wind up with so if you use a whole bunch of coercion trying to achieve some noble ends well it doesn't matter because you if, mm. if the ingredients going in are a bunch of coercion and violence you had just created a bunch more coercion and violence in the world congratulations you have yeah. the you have you have a bunch of coercion and violence which isn't what we should want and so if we want you know free and open speech and free and open transfer of money for the world you can't engage in censorship of speech to achieve that. And that's exactly what the BTC community did. Mm -hmm. And it's still going on to this very day on uh, our Bitcoin and BitcoinTalk.org. And it's really, really uh, disappointing. And it was, it was really interesting because at the time the censorship started, everybody saw what was going on. The most, to this very day, I believe still, the most upvoted post ever on our Bitcoin was a post uh, calling for an end to the censorship and for the moderator that had imposed that censorship to step down. Man. And uh, and then, boom, you guess what happened? He deleted that post. Too. So, <laughs> Sounds like censorship is still going on to this very day. And Man. another guy I'm sure lots of your listeners will be familiar with, uh, Jason King from Sean's Outpost, uh, mm -hmm. another great voluntarist uh, uh, guy that was you know helping the homeless down in Florida and had his battles with the you know the Florida government there as well. To, they were trying to block him from helping homeless people that need yeah. help. Um, he was one of the moderators on uh, our Bitcoin there that everybody knew and loved. And, you know, this is one of the great libertarian guys that have been involved in Bitcoin. And then, boom, all of a sudden, overnight, they stripped his moderatorship and stripped away the moderatorship of every other moderator that everybody knew and liked. And wow. then put a bunch of anonymous names that nobody knew who these people were. And to put my conspiracy theory hat on, there's a real darn good chance that all those people are government agents that are moderating that forum in an attempt to prevent Bitcoin from disrupting the U.S. dollar's uh, top spot is the world's reserve currency and the world's reserve store value. Uh, right. That very, very likely could uh, could be the case. Well, we usually uh, keep these to an hour. Can I hold you over a little bit? Longer? Absolutely. Yeah. You okay. Betcha. So, all right. So uh, 
you, man, you you just let it flow. I, I mean, I appreciate everything you're saying, but let's go back to the fork. So this was <laughs> Blockstream had this lightning network and a bunch of the camp wanted to do this segregated witness upgrade and then have this off-chain transaction. And then people were debating, maybe we should just increase the block size, which seems like the simplest answer, just increase the block size and everything's cool. And then there was censorship and then a contingent of the Bitcoin community decided, why don't we just fork away? So you, can you describe to the listeners what a hard fork is and then how that hard fork became Bitcoin Cash and, and get us caught up to where we are today? Yeah, so like the, the technical description is that a hard fork is something that loosens the rules that all the nodes on the network have to follow. So uh, a soft fork is something that tightens the rules. So if, an example of that would be if the maximum block size that all the nodes are supposed to allow in the network is one megabyte, if you were to reduce that to half a megabyte, you're tightening the rules because now the, the rules are more constrictive than what they were before. And so every node has to follow along uh, by default there. If you were to increase the block size from one megabyte to two megabytes, for example, which was the proposal, um, that's a loosening of the rules and that's considered a hard fork because all these nodes that previously could only accept up to a one megabyte block, they'd now have to have run new software that allows the two megabyte blocks, whereas the software that previously could only accept up to a one megabyte block as the maximum, they don't have to change anything with their software to, a, to only start accepting half megabyte blocks. And so as Vitalik Buterin, the founder of Ethereum pointed out, soft forks by this definition are coercive because it forces everybody to come along. Hard forks like increasing the block size are, are voluntary in nature because if you don't like it, just don't update your software and you're not gonna come along for the update. And uh, a group of people got together and there's a technical argument about segregated witness claiming that it makes a bunch of technical debt, makes it harder to work with Bitcoin and it's this kludge. I don't have much of an opinion one way or another. I don't really care. But other people felt strongly enough about that where they uh, they didn't like it at all. And so at the right before Segregated Witness was implemented into Bitcoin, they updated all of their software to have a version of Bitcoin that allowed for eight megabyte blocks and without Segregated Witness. And so that chain eventually came to be called Bitcoin Cash. But it wasn't until months and months later that the two megabyte update to the Bitcoin chain, what everybody's still calling Bitcoin today, failed and, and was aborted after there was this big agreement on that. I said, well, that's the end of Bitcoin's chance of being peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash for the world. It would take something like several decades at the moment to onboard everybody to be able to use Bitcoin on the Lightning Network because you still have to make a transaction to even get on the Lightning Network. So you're looking at decades, whereas Bitcoin Cash can onboard everybody really, really quickly for the entire world to be able to use. So I said, well, I looked at all the cryptocurrencies out there. There was you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, Dash, on and on and on. I own Bitcoin.com, so I thought, well, I guess the one that has the best chance and the one that I can have the biggest impact on bringing more economic freedom to the world for was Bitcoin Cash. And so I decided to switch my time and effort and money and resources into promoting Bitcoin Cash. But if I thought it had been you know, something else, I would have switched to something else. If I thought it had been promoting the, the Swedish Krona, I would have promoted that. Like my, my effort in life has always been to promote the tools that empower individuals to have more control over their own lives and for politicians to have less control over people's lives. And a Bitcoin Cash, I think, is a fantastic tool to be able to do that. And that's why I started using my time and effort to, to do that. But it wasn't until months after Bitcoin Cash came into existence and was already its own chain with its own price out there that I decided to start spending my time on Bitcoin Cash. And here we are uh, several years later. Bitcoin Cash is one of the top cryptocurrencies in the entire world. It's the third or fourth most popular proof of work cryptocurrency in the entire world, accepted in all sorts of fantastic locations. Uh, 
If you have a location and you want to accept it for your business, check out the Bitcoin Cash Register app. Uh, you, you don't give your name, you don't give your email, you don't give your tax ID number. It works for anybody anywhere in the world. You can start accepting Bitcoin Cash at your business right now today, even when the owner is not around. It's a fantastic tool. And where the idea for that app came from was one that we had launched for Bitcoin previously. But now with the high fees on Bitcoin, nobody can do that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. again, my goal is to build the tools to empower individuals to be able to opt out of statism and just live free and, and, and run their own lives without needing permission from other people. And uh, whatever tool enables that, that's going to be the tool that I'm going to be out there busy promoting and, and, and advocating for. Right. And if I thought Bitcoin was that tool, I would still be promoting Bitcoin. But to me, it, it clearly isn't. At this point, it seems to be a speculative asset for rich people to get even richer off of uh, without empowering you know people around the world to have more economic freedom in their lives. Uh, actual cryptocurrencies that can be used as cash are the ones that do that. And that's why I'm mm -hmm. excited about those. Okay, so I think that answers Joe Burwell's question about starting a parallel Bitcoin too. Essentially, that's what happened with the Bitcoin Cash hard fork, and now we have Bitcoin and all and the Bitcoin other altcoins too, right? There's uh, like people started, you know, Digibyte, which then later became Monero, and this and that out there, or uh, Bitcoin rather. Um, there's all of these out there. There's thousands of them, but that's actually a good thing. When uh, yeah, it's the market in action, exactly. And one of the things that people asked me, I think, when I first met you at that Liberty Forum, when I got you know, Tom Woods and Jeff Tucker and a bunch of other people on board here. They said, well, what if something better than Bitcoin comes along? And I told them back then, and I'll say the exact same thing now about Bitcoin Cash. I said, I hope something that better than Bitcoin Cash does come along because then the entire world gets to benefit from that too. It's a good thing if something better than Bitcoin Cash comes along. It was a good thing when something better than Bitcoin came along. The more good things that are better than what we have in the world uh, today come along, the better the world is. So we want as many great things that are better than what we have today to come along every single day of the week, right? It's disappointing that you have to wait a whole year for something better than this iPhone to come out, right? Like mm -hmm. the faster new and better things come out, the better the world uh, becomes. So we want yeah. something better than these existing cryptocurrencies to come out. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's yeah. not something you should be worried about. It's something you should be excited about and looking and searching out there for. And if you can figure out what the new good thing is that's better than what we have existing for the world and then sell your existing assets to buy that new asset before other people have if you're right about that prediction mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna profit financially as well so it's just a win-win-win situation all the way around and that's all any business is is moving things from where they're worth less to where they're worth more and if you can do that with cryptocurrency more power to you that's a good thing yeah. for the world Yep. All right. Let's try to wrap up in six minutes. Let's hit these questions real quick. There's a few questions that we have here. This is a good one. Kieran Pearson on Facebook says, Roger Bear, can we make our, oh, not this one, but this one says that we should do talking points about consent and voluntarism and statism can be convoluted. And she thinks that consent is an important practical thing. You want to give me a few thoughts on that one while I get the next question ready? Yeah. I forget, I forget which author was pointing it out, but uh, he said, Consent is, is so important. It's everything. So consent is the only difference between working for a living or being a slave, mm -hmm. right? Consent is the only difference between making love or being raped. Yeah. If you don't have consent, it's not okay, right? So everything needs to be consensual all the time. Uh, otherwise, I guess, you know, you could say rape and, and, and slavery and, uh, are okay too. And obviously they're not. So uh, yep. make everything voluntary. We could expand the me too thing to like me too. I'm being taxed and coerced against, you know, it's the same thing. People seem to think it makes sense for sexual activity, but when it comes to economic activity, it's the same exact same thing. Okay. This is the question here. Aaron De La Cruz, how does Bitcoin or Bitcoin cash benefit those with low income? Always thought this was for folks who could afford to purchase these things. 
So a lot of times people with low income don't have access to traditional banking system. And so the country I live in, Antigua, most people do everything in cash. Lots of people, most people probably don't have credit cards, but lots of these people, for example, they still might want to order something from Amazon in the US. Well, with Bitcoin Cash, they can do that. And then they go and use purse.io and they can get a discount on top of that. It's a fantastic thing. So if you're not in a first world country, you don't have access to these first world financial systems. And uh, that applies to the lower income people, whereas Bitcoin Cash works for everybody. And lower income people are a lot more sensitive to the fees to transact. Well, Bitcoin mm -hmm. Cash, a fraction of a penny to transact. Bitcoin, three, five, ten dollars sometimes $50, sometimes $1,000 to transact. Low income people aren't going to want to pay, pay that. Yeah, that's that's well said. And plus, you know, you're way into the peer to peer cash element of it. But as you well know, there is opportunities if you're early into one of these cryptocurrencies. And I think it's still early for all of them. There's opportunities to have it be an investment and to put some money in and to make money. And I want to point something out that a lot of people still aren't familiar with. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin cash. You don't have to have twenty three thousand dollars at once to buy Bitcoin or over three hundred dollars, three hundred sixteen dollars to buy Bitcoin cash. So as someone that has low income, if you're able to just set aside, you know, even if it's a little 2% of your monthly income or 5% of your monthly income, stack a little crypto, who knows in two to three years, more than likely it's going to go up in value. You don't have to pay fees to some sort of stockbroker. You don't have to, there's no barrier to entry. You can just acquire it there on, on Bitcoin.com. Just want to throw that out there. And then if you're a business person or you have a side hustle or you're an entrepreneur, you can go to Bitcoin.com and use their little cash register app and receive money without having to pay the credit card companies two to 3% or whatever. And no reporting to the IRS with that app either. We don't. <laughs> especially important for low income too. They get taxed as well. All right. Um, let me see. I just want to throw this up here. We have a, we have a hater, which I know you're like a controversial figure, but you're so like chill and gentle, you know, and I guess it's just because you speak truth to power and uh, you're pretty influential. But this guy, Jay Prince says, Roger is a scammer and a liar. Segwit gave Bitcoin a max block size of four megabytes. Roger's beef is he wanted to be king of Bitcoin, but he's dishonest and technologically illiterate. Do you want to be king of Bitcoin, Roger? Is that what this is all about? It's like those crazy libertarians. They want to take over the whole world and just leave everybody alone. Right? So I'm one of those people that just want to leave everybody alone. And in regards to, to the SegWit maximum block size, yeah, technically it's four megabytes if everything's perfect. If you look at it recently, it's been about 1.2 megabytes on average. And that's why I said around one megabyte. And uh, I, I was agnostic on the whole SegWit issue. I'm still agnostic. I don't care. But uh, I wrote an essay explaining why limiting the block size on Bitcoin is like enforcing a production quota in the market. When you enforce a production quota on something, uh, it makes the people start seek out alternative goods. And that's exactly what happened to Bitcoin. There's a production quota on the amount of transactions people can make on Bitcoin. So people started using things like Bitcoin Cash and, and uh, you know, Ripple and everything else out there. So, uh, and as far as being technologically illiterate, I ran a very successful tech company out of Silicon Valley, employing all sorts of software engineers and hardware engineers. Uh, have a you know computer science background myself. Uh, you can call me names and tell lies about me all day long. It doesn't mean they're true. All right. I just wanted to highlight that because you got you still you still have a lot of haters because I think you you you're you make an impact and you're effective at what you do. So people that don't agree with you are going to get a little. Which is why they had to resort to censorship, right? So my yeah. point of view is the vast majority within the, the Bitcoin ecosystem until the censorship started, and then everybody that came after the censorship started, they only heard one side of the argument, and before yeah. you know it. Uh, 
everybody saying what everybody else around them was saying. And there's been some really interesting psychological experiments that they've done on human beings where they'll, they'll just do what everybody else around them is doing without any yeah. reason or understanding why. Yeah, even some really nasty things. This is one that always comes up from like the patriot conspiracy community quite a bit. There's all these people that think like, they're like, why would I have Bitcoin when I can have gold? And it's like, well, you can have gold and Bitcoin. Yeah, gold. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. <laughs> and you should, and ammo and storable food, right? But uh, Justin Slater on Facebook asks, please ask Roger what happens when the cyber pandemic hits and the power grid and internet are down for an extended period of time. Yeah, if the if the, the internet and the and the power are down, like you have a lot bigger problems than Bitcoin also being down, right? You yeah. Know, water, where are you going to get your food? Where are you going to get just about anything? Like the you're in big trouble. So it's a good idea to have some gold and silver, some ammo, some storable food. Have some good old fashioned Bitcoin. I'm sorry, good old fashioned. So used to saying Bitcoin cash bags because they have some good old fashioned cash cash, right? Yeah, yeah. Fiat cash around because that's what you know. Lots of people around are still going to want. So like, be prepared. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being prepared out there in life. And, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't only buy Bitcoin mm -hmm. cash. Don't only buy gold. Don't only buy dollars. Like have a nice diverse portfolio out there. Yeah. And then as soon as the grid comes back up, which it's unlikely the whole grid's going to go down. There's not like this internet kill switch like everyone always talked about. And there's a lot of folks that control governments and that influence governments. And they don't want to lose their asses off with all of their wealth and their businesses too. But, um, Whenever, as soon as the grid goes back up, the blockchain's still there. It's still record. You still have access to your crypto, and I, I, that's like a non-question. But I, I appreciate your answering and, and uh, addressing it. Okay, one last thing before we let you go, um, James Babb here. I don't know if you remember James. Oh, Babb. it's in the Nemen Center, I believe. Is that is that the James? No, Babb that's Michael or? Bolden. That's Michael uh, Bolden. I know the James Babb. He had some maybe jury, jury nullification was his big thing. I know yeah, he's name. big on that. Uh huh. He's yeah, that. I know the name from from way back when. Sure. He says thank you for all your support of Free Ross. So maybe uh, if if some of my listeners aren't aware, who is Ross Ulbricht and why should people know him and be concerned about his story? So Ross Ulbricht is the the reason I got involved in Bitcoin. Um, I wasn't because I ever bought or sold a single thing on the Silk Road, but I heard about the Silk Road in reference to this website where people could now buy and sell anything. It was called the Silk Road and uh, you could buy and sell anything uh, right there. And they were using some form of money that couldn't be shut down or stopped or censored. And I thought, well, what the heck kind of money are they using for this? And so I looked into Bitcoin because of that. And so basically Ross built an amazing e-commerce website and should be given, you know, like a technology medal of honor for this sort of thing. It was really a, he plugged all these pieces together and built something mm -hmm. that had never existed before. And, uh, and it was a staunch libertarian. You know, he was a big fan of the Mises Institute and uh, was somebody that would get along, I think very well with both of us with uh, his voluntarist worldview. And the government just absolutely hates people that don't respect their authority and don't believe in their authority. And because of that, they really threw the book at him. They literally condemned him to die in prison for having built this website that allowed people to buy and sell anything they wanted without the government's permission. Uh, and he did so for philosophical motivations. I think mm -hmm. it was his philosophical motivations that really pissed off the judge and the government agents there. Uh, and so he's currently serving a double life sentence plus 40 years in federal prison. He's condemned to die there. But we've seen, you know, a lot of the crazy shenanigans that just went on with the recent U.S. election. And I, it, it's interesting, though, everybody feels like this is my team or that team. And I, I pointed out on Twitter I said, if the, if the Democratic Party was willing to intentionally cheat to steal the election from Bernie Sanders to give it to Hillary Clinton, don't think that they're not willing to cheat to steal the election from Donald Trump. And it got a bunch of retweets and uh, you know uh, quotes and this and that. And because it's true, 
And then I also, you know, just a few minutes later, I tweeted out, I said, if, if uh, don't, you know, if the Republican Party was willing to cheat and lie and steal to, to tilt the election or to steal the election away from Ron Paul, the nomination mm -hmm. away from Ron Paul in favor of uh, whoever. John was, McCain. John McCain there. Yeah. Um, don't think that they wouldn't do the same thing to to um, to whoever the current guy is, Joe, Joe Biden. Right. I'm I'm so glad I haven't been an American for six years. So I <laughs> follow any of that stuff. It's a but shit like, show. But a bunch of people were real mad that I would even say that maybe the Republicans would cheat too. Like they're both a bunch of cheaters. Yeah, that's what um, they do. But now, but now is the chance, right? Because Trump seems to be on the way out, and he's—I uh, think he got cheated and rubbed, you know, the wrong way, and had all sorts of shady stuff happen to him there. Um, now is his big chance to give the middle finger to the deep state there, right? He needs to pardon Julian Assange. He needs to pardon Edward Snowden. He needs to pardon Free Ross or Ross Ulbricht as well, the founder of the Silk Road. And then I'll give out, uh, he needs to pardon Kim.com out there as well, who's just been being railroaded. And another person that a lot of people won't have ever heard of, but needs to be pardoned as well is another guy named Gary Davis. And he was the moderator for the discussion forum on the Silk Road. And, uh, and after he got arrested for that, uh, and he was you know going through his uh, uh, appealing jurisdiction, he was an Irish guy living in Ireland. He'd never been into the US in his entire life. The Irish government didn't want to prosecute him at all but the U.S. government eventually extradited him to the U.S. And I think he has, I don't know, maybe five or six years left to go. But uh, I had hired him to work at Bitcoin.com. And he was one of the best guys on our entire team. That guy was absolutely fantastic. Another voluntarist, principled, wonderful, wonderful guy that's now you know, stuck in federal prison in the United States, a country that he'd never been to ever before until he showed up there in prison. Um, everybody knows I donated a bunch of money to, to Ross Ulbricht to try and help his... Uh, legal camp uh, campaign and then his uh, you know fight to be get a pardon now but uh, same with Gary Davis that guy deserves a pardon as well but now is the time go on social media tweet at Trump tweet at all these people and mm -hmm. say hey free Ross pardon Ross, Ross Ulbricht pardon Edward Snowden uh, you know uh, Julian Assange of course uh, and Gary Davis as well he's a name that most people won't recognize maybe you'll recognize his name if you spent any time on the forums there is name on the forums there was Libertas wow. and another great and I would love to see him get out too. And uh, and uh, Ross Ulbricht, I don't know if he needs a job if he ever gets out, but he has one way to form a heartbeat at Bitcoin.com. And same with Gary as soon as he gets out. And uh, and pretty much you know, a big portion of our team were people I hired that had been people that had been victimized by the state for victimless crimes. And those are oftentimes my, my very favorite people to bring and make part of our mm -hmm. team because we're on the same philosophical page there uh, at Bitcoin.com. I, I love yeah. working with those sorts of people. Did you see this out of Yahoo Finance? Silk, Silk Road's Ulbricht being considered for pardon by Trump. Apparently, some I, folks close I to did. Trump. It's pretty exciting. Let's uh, let's manifest that. I tweeted at him after I saw that article to try to put a little pressure. Okay, there's one last thing. Uh, Theocrat on YouTube says, "Is there a list of businesses that accept Bitcoin?" He says, "I never jumped on the Bitcoin wagon because I didn't know where you can spend it." So I'm gonna I'm gonna you go ahead and explain it, but I'm going to Bitcoin.com because I know you guys got that taken care of there. Yeah, so at this point, the question is almost where can you not spend Bitcoin because it's just accepted so widely around the world. So both Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash are accepted at more than 100,000 websites. And I can see John just pulled up map.bitcoin.com and you can see all the physical locations around the world. And if I can ask you to zoom in on, on Antigua there, a little island in the Caribbean, you can see we really have amazing adoption down here as well. I can see it's the one with 59 on the map and there's more nice. than that. And so you can see this is a fantastic uh, tourist destination here. Or if you want to move here and live permanently, like we really have the island covered well here. But uh, well played. 
Yeah, you can check out map.bitcoin.com and you can find places near you where you can spend Bitcoin cash. And it's just really a, an exciting, fantastic way to, to be able to live freer uh, in your own life. And again, nobody right. can freeze your account. No one can block your payments. No one can control it in any way. And uh, hopefully we can use the, you know, our cryptocurrency united voice to get uh, pardons for Edward Snowden, Julian Assange, and, uh, and Ross Ulbricht, and Gary Davis, and, uh, and all these other people that are being victimized by the United States federal government for victimless crimes. Nice. I want to mention that listener too. You can head on over to mybravebotanicals.com anytime you want. Pick yourself up some Delta 8 THC, some Kratom. And of course, you can pay with Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin uh, Monero now, and a few other different cryptos. So there's a lot of folks all over physical and online that accept Bitcoin now. So there's never a better time to get involved than now. All right, yeah. Roger, man. Monero is one of my close seconds for one of those tools yep. that I think can bring more economic fit into the world. It's it's a really cool one. If you haven't checked out Monero, check that one out as well. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of great reset research. And in fact, people can go to greaterreset.net, greaterreset.net. We're pushing back. We're launching our own initiative to try to overcome their chicanery. And I know one of your writers, Jamie Redman, has been pumping out some really great articles on the Great Reset over at Bitcoin.com. But I always butt heads with folks in the research community, and they all think that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain is all totally compromised and the technology is put out by the new world order and it's going to control us all. And I was like, well, maybe you should look at Monero because it most definitely is not that. And in fact, it and Bitcoin Cash and others, uh, Bitcoin may be a little more compromised as far as just what's taken place in, in that vein. But all these other ones, especially it's actually the solution to the Great Reset, which was, I think, was the, one of the headlines for one of Jamie's most recent articles, because it will allow you to control your property and to conduct business privately, especially with Monero. And that's exactly that's like the anathema to the to the Great Reset. So and if I could take another one or two minutes to espouse on, on Monero and Bitcoin Cash a little bit and why I like both mm -hmm. and why I'm, and the drawbacks of both there, too. So. Bitcoin Cash has a privacy tool called Cash Fusion, which shuffles up all your Bitcoin Cash with everybody else. Which is that is, automatic or how do you how do you utilize that? It's automatic if you download the Electron Cash wallet for your desktop. We're busy building that into the Bitcoin.com wallet. I, I can't, I've been chomping at the bit for that to be available in the Bitcoin.com wallet for forever, but it's technically a bit challenging. Uh, and so that's fantastic. It actually, there's more potential ways to shuffle up your Bitcoin Cash in one of these transactions then there are atoms in the entire universe. So that's a really, really, really big number. And so it gives you privacy in the same ballpark as a Monero there. Um, but Bitcoin Cash is good because you still know that there's this 21 million supply limit on Bitcoin Cash and you can audit that right there on chain. With Monero, all the transactions are totally private all the time on the blockchain. You can't, you can't check and see how much money was sent to anybody. Uh, you just know that a transaction took place. You have no idea for how much or who it was to or, or anything like that, which is great. But the downside of that is you can't audit the total supply of Monero. So let's say some NSA employee started working on the open source Monero uh, code and got a, an intentional bug introduced that creates an inflation bug in Monero where they can print extra Monero. The world would never know about it. And I kind of actually wonder like, why is Monero only, you know, I don't know, 150 bucks or whatever it is at the moment. I kind of feel like it should be more than that with how much money has gone in and how awesome it is. And so it makes you wonder, do they have a slow inflation bug where they can just print more 
and then sell more and nobody can notice it because you can't audit the total supply. And so that's my fear about Monero. Bitcoin Cash doesn't have that fear, but Monero is awesome because the privacy is turned on for everybody all the time by default. Bitcoin Cash isn't as awesome because you have to take an extra step to get the, the privacy turned on there. But then the other thing that's good for Bitcoin Cash is it's accepted at every major exchange in the world. And I've been selling all sorts of a Bitcoin Cash put options. And for those that don't know, basically I'm promising to buy Bitcoin Cash at a specific price in the future. And they're paying me money for that right now today. And so it's a great way where you can either buy Bitcoin Cash at cheaper than the price it is right now, or you get some free money. So it's like a win-win situation. I've been doing lots of that with Bitcoin Cash. Monero, you can't do that with, not because of the privacy stuff directly, but because Monero's privacy is so good that the regulators in different countries around the world tell the different businesses that they're not allowed to trade Monero. So these big trading desks don't have Monero. So I don't think Coinbase has Monero. A bunch of the exchanges don't have Monero. Every business uh, exchange in Japan, they're not allowed to list Monero because it's a privacy coin. And so that's a really big drawback of these privacy coins that have the privacy on chain is that governments can ban them. Whereas Bitcoin Cash, where the privacy is a protocol that rides above, you can go to the regulators with a straight face and say, oh, Bitcoin Cash is just as transparent as Bitcoin. You can see every single transaction and track everything. Just don't mention the Bitcoin Cash protocol. I'm sorry, the Cash Fusion protocol to them that we're building right into the Bitcoin.com wallet as well. So anyhow, those are my thoughts on why Monero and Bitcoin Cash are both great, but both have some drawbacks at the same time. So probably a good idea to have some both in addition to your gold and silver bullion. Yep, they're a good part of a small basket for sure. All right, well, Roger, man, it's been great. It's good to catch up with you. You've uh, you just continue to do a lot of great work. Excited to see all these new improvements on Bitcoin Cash and just the continual growth of that space as well. So keep up the good work. Again, this is uh, Roger Vare of Bitcoin.com. You can follow his work uh, on his Twitter. He's very active on Twitter, ruffling feathers there. And uh, Bitcoin.com as well is his outfit. Thanks again, Roger. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. This was another edition of the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live free, prosperous, and healthy life. Go to Bitcoin.com, learn all about cryptocurrency, get yourself the Bitcoin.com wallet. Uh, Roger gave me a thousand bucks, and I'm gonna, I'm, I have a mandate to give out five hundred dollars. We've already given out thirty dollars, so you can expect on other parts of the show and. Uh, just in my life, I'm going to be handing that out. Maybe you'll receive some too. Make sure you have a Bitcoin.com wallet or crypto wallet that does Bitcoin cash. So whenever I drop those links, you'll be able to scoop them up. All right. Again, this is John Bush. Remember, if you want to do a cryptocurrency consultation one-on-one with me, uh, you can take my time, pick my brain. I'll hold your hand, help you get the wallet set up, help you figure out how to purchase crypto, help you figure out how to send it safely and securely, you can go to sovbtc.com. Again, that's sovbtc.com, and we'll get you all set up. All right, peace and freedom. Thanks for listening.